This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm a psychologist, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I've been in private practice for over 25 years in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I started podcasting last year in order to extend the walls of my practice to those perhaps who are already interested in mental health, maybe they were in therapy, but also to those who might be a little curious about mental health or mental illness, but might never darken the door of someone like me. What I'm hearing from some of the comments that are made and some of the reviews that are being left, that many of you are aware that you are anxious or depressed and are struggling with it, either for the first time or that you're aware that these issues have taken a while to develop in yourself. So I'm so glad you're here. Today, before we get started, I do want to thank some listeners, especially, who've left actual written reviews for me. One listener said, I'm only a few episodes into this podcast series, but I'm finding it a godsend. I've engaged in counseling many times throughout my life and recently made the decision to return to therapy. Dr. Margaret is direct, caring, empathetic, often humorous, that makes me feel better, and delivers concise, useful information. That is really wonderful. Someone else says, there's always a worthwhile take on a message that I can apply to my life. Thank you for that. One listener says, had I listened to these podcasts in those truly trying times, I believe it would have really helped me. I'm in a trying time now, and I've been looking into help, but counselors in my area focus only on prayer and trust in the Bible. So I don't take a religious bent on things. I decided a long time ago that I was going to leave my own personal spiritual beliefs out of my practice. So that's not what you're going to find here. There's certainly other people who talk about it a lot. And the last one says, I love listening to your podcast. The best points are that they are short and to the point. (laughs) You are compassionate and knowledgeable. Thank you for using your gift in such a giving way. And of course, you're welcome. So thank you for those. It's truly motivating because I have a full practice and I either do this on the weekends or early in the mornings. And so it is really, again, very motivating for me to have people actually write in and tell me what they like or what they don't like. I'll keep them short just for the listener who said they liked them short. During this past week, the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report came out for the Catholic Church. That, coupled with the Jerry Sandusky case at Penn State, the conviction of Larry Nassar for abusing 150 gymnasts, all hopeful Olympians, all of these things point out to the devastating cases of sexual abuse that point out to us the immense damage done to victims when they don't reveal, they can't reveal, they do reveal and they're shunned, or they're not believed at all. I'm going to include a link to that grand jury report if you're interested, but please be careful if you have been sexually abused because they do not mince any words. You know, the Me Too movement continues to make an impact, but the reveal doesn't always go well. We talked about in episode 81 about confrontation of a sexual perpetrator and what are good do's and don'ts in that situation. But the realization that sometimes revealing sexual abuse does not always go as you predicted and you have to be prepared for that and know how you're going to handle it. I'm going to go over some actual cases of my own, all of sexual abuse and people who revealed and then different things happened. Now, if you're 
female and listening to this, statistics would say that you have a one in four chance of this happening to you. Of course, you will know it if you're listening and it has. Some say even one in three. And if you're male, the stats range anywhere from one in six to one in 13, depending on the source. However, many, many cases go unreported, so we don't really know. Since I've been practicing for 25 years, I can tell you it happens a lot more than many people think it does. In a more recent podcast, we talked about it occurring within the family or incest as well. But today's topic is about handling yourself when you reveal at all, really. And I'm going to have some things you can do to help yourself. Then our listener email today is someone who's been listening to the Emotional Grown-Up episode, that's episode 12, and she says, I've identified what my strategies are, but how do you change them as an adult? So I thought perhaps some of you might have that same question, and we'll go there. So thanks for listening. We'll be focusing on revealing sexual abuse and how to handle when you feel like it's almost causing a second betrayal. Or, of course, you may be a family member or a friend that hears about sexual abuse, and this episode is important for you because it will help you know how to listen. There are many people like Karen. She goes to church every Sunday. Tears trickle down her face in every service, although she's surrounded by the loving family she grew up in, as well as her own husband and children. Yet Sam, her oldest brother, who fondled and sexually manipulated her for years, is sitting by her side. He has two daughters. Karen is not only crying for herself, but for them, and she feels paralyzed. My mom and dad adore Sam. They wouldn't believe me, and then where will I be? What will my husband think? I've kept this secret for 42 years and never have uttered a word to him. And Janie, Sam's wife, will become unglued. I know I should, but I can't. I'm going to watch the girls and make sure they look okay. Then she remembers. She looked okay as well. There are many people in Karen's shoes, and maybe you're one of them. If so, it is a terrible place to be in, to be governed by by your fear, but it's also understandable because sometimes chaos does happen after a revelation. Let's talk about Mark. Mark had been married for 10 years, and he hesitatingly told his wife, finally, that he had been raped by a camp counselor when he was a young boy, and he came into therapy to see me. She's having trouble with it. We haven't had the best sex life, and now she thinks I'm telling her I'm gay. I wish I'd never said anything. I'll tell you what happened later with that. Let's talk about Connie. Connie was a married mother of three when she remembered being sexually abused by her stepfather when she was five years old. It had happened once as she lay sleeping in between the two of them after a nightmare had brought her to be in with her mom, to be comforted. As can happen, it was when Connie's own daughter turned five that she had a full memory of the second nightmare that had happened that night. She told her husband, and they chose to confront the stepfather. Actually, he broke down and said he'd always wanted to talk with her about it and begged his wife not to leave him. He'd gotten therapy after it happened, but said he was willing to do everything and anything needed to make amends, and said it had never happened with anyone else at any time, and he had no urges. 
Again, we're going to talk more about what happened in these cases in a few minutes. Brittany only started remembering her own abuse when one of her siblings revealed theirs. The two of them confided in an older brother, Bobby, and they began putting the pieces together. He believed them, remembering how Brittany had become more and more withdrawn as a child. They decided to confront the uncle who had done it, the perpetrator, at Thanksgiving in front of the adults of the family. He had lived in their home for years after their father had died. Brittany read slowly and calmly what she had prepared. Her mom, stepdad, sister, and two cousins were all there, smiling nervously, and they were very, very quiet. Brittany asked for acknowledgement, apology, and treatment. These are all real stories, and there are many more. Now, we all hear cases where children have been coached to say they've been sexually abused, although that rarely happens. We've heard from girls or women who come forward and report being raped by someone in a fraternity or some celebrity or political figure, and we listen to opposing lawyers fight about whether or not the reported victim had a secret agenda. If you're old enough, you might remember the Anita Hill versus Clarence Thomas controversy that had our nation divided about what was true and what wasn't, but brought into the light the issue of sexual harassment in the workplace. There are many cases that have been prosecuted now on college campuses, and the Me Too movement is making a difference in raising awareness. No victim is protected from their life being held up to scrutiny. A false accusation can obviously cause tremendous loss as well, and yet many actual perpetrators go unpunished. The fear that perhaps family or other loved ones will turn on you or become angry, thus making things worse, Ignore what you said or downright not believe you keeps many, many children and adults silent. But what makes this fear so great? It's likely that you were threatened by your abuser already or somehow manipulated to believe that it was really okay. If you were a child, your gut knew it wasn't okay. If you're an adult and you're being sexually molested in the present, that fear doesn't go away. In fact, that fear of telling may even be stronger because there could be potential harm to children. I don't know how many of you know who the Duggars are here in Arkansas, but they are a they're a family with many, many children, and they have a television show. And the case came up several years ago where it was revealed that there was some sexual inappropriateness by one of the older Duggar males. And what had occurred was that the treatment, quote-unquote, that that young man had received when he was a teenager was totally inappropriate and didn't have anything to do with him actually facing his problem. And then what later came out was that he had abusive issues in the present. I wrote a blog post about how this family who was very prominent missed a huge opportunity by coming forward and saying, you know, if you are in our family and we know that you have been sexually abusive, or manipulative, then we're not going to shun you. We're going to try to help you. And yet, what does it feel like to be on the receiving end of disbelief or discounting or denial? It can be devastating. You're invisible. It can hurt worse than the abuse itself. You learn your feelings, your very experiences don't matter. You're on your own. All of the above situations ended differently. Karen left therapy And at the time she did, still couldn't bring herself to confront her brother. 
Yet she didn't blame herself for the abuse any longer and felt as if some kind of burden had been lifted from her. She was going to work on a closer relationship with her nieces to enhance any chance she might have of discovering something. And if she did, that would be the breaking point. Mark and his wife came in therapy together and worked on how she could hear what he was trying to share in a different way, rather than making really harmful and wrongful assumptions. It turned out that her own father had had affairs, and her ability to trust men had been badly damaged, so that was getting triggered in her. They did very well and left therapy much closer. Connie's story is interesting because, of course, she confronted her stepfather, and he was quite appropriate and gave her apology and said he would do anything while also begging her mother not to leave him. But it was quite a while before Connie was willing to allow her own children to be in his presence again, a couple of years, in fact. But slowly there was healing. What was more concerning, however, was that her husband wanted that process to go more quickly, as her mom and stepdad had been the only real babysitters they'd ever used, so it was making a huge impact on their ability to have alone time away from the kids. So her husband and Connie were arguing a lot. Then one day, the couple happened to be with their best friends, and Connie shared what had happened to her as a child. Their reaction was horror at what she'd been through. So suddenly, her husband, John, woke up to the reality and immediately began apologizing to his wife for what had been his own insensitivity and impatience. Let's talk a little bit about what happened to Brittany. After she asked for acknowledgement and even payment for treatment, her uncle stared at her. It wasn't me. I think it was our neighbor that you must be remembering. He was a creep. Christmas that same year went on as normally planned. Uncle Tommy even carved the roast. Cheery good wishes were passed all around, and the abuse was never mentioned again. Brittany came in and slowly worked to determine if most of her family wasn't going to believe her what kind of boundaries she was going to have to choose to have with them. She decided there was never going to be another Christmas like the one she had just been through. So some of these stories have endings that were healing. Some did not. Some were sort of a mixed bag. In episode 81, I did talk about a woman that I helped or tried to help years ago that had gotten very hurt after the confrontation of her perpetrator. So it's a huge decision and one that needs to be considered very carefully. But there are some things you can do if you've been sexually abused, whether you confront or not. And we're going to talk about them now. You can work on having compassion for that child who didn't know what to do, the child that was hurt and manipulated by someone older who they trusted. You can give yourself permission to feel whatever you need to feel about the abuse, rage, fear, grief, and realize these things could eventually be let go. But remember, you're going to have problems because of the abuse, probably problems with trust, with self-esteem, with a sense of safety. The sexual abuse will have had an impact on you. You can get out pictures of yourself where you were much younger, and you could say, what would I say to that little girl or that little boy to help comfort them? Second, what you can do is connect pieces of your current life 
with irrational or hurtful beliefs about yourself and challenge those self-destructive beliefs that are tied directly to the abuse. For example, if you believe the abuse was your fault, then that belief needs to be challenged. I also talked about in episode 36 that sometimes your body can respond with arousal. And instead of fighting back like you may have thought you should, you froze, which is very normal and is just as much a part of surviving as fighting back is. There are wonderful workbooks to help, the classic being The Courage to Heal. And there will be a link to that book in your show notes. The third thing is, you can give yourself credit that you emotionally survived. And what do you want to do now? What do you need to do now in order to protect yourself? You can begin to make changes in what you can control now so that your message to yourself is a positive one, just like Brittany had to decide that there were going to be boundaries with her family. Connie chose very specific boundaries between her, her mom, and her stepdad that she played out for several years until she had regained her trust or her stepfather had worked to regain her trust. So those kinds of actions can be very, very important. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I like to talk about what can you do about it. And obviously you cannot do anything about sexual abuse that's happened in the past. But you can do something about keeping yourself safe now. I've had lots of victims of sexual abuse take defense courses and they feel just better that they know how to defend themselves physically. So look for what you have control over now. Then the last thing is to please remember that if you're not believed or the reaction is not what you wanted, remind yourself about what you know about your spouse or your biological family or whoever you told that would help you not make it personal that they're struggling with this new information. For example, in Mark's case, we discovered that his wife's father had had multiple affairs, and she had a problem with trust in the first place. So she got re-triggered all over again, not just about the sexual abuse or hearing about it, but about the fact that Mark had kept a secret. Once that was more clear, the couple was able to move past it. Maybe you have a mom that would have to face her own shame that she didn't protect you, and she's simply not capable of that. Maybe your family's never been able to talk about pain. Maybe there's sexual abuse in their own history that they've denied or avoided. You really don't know. But you can act to keep the damage done to yourself to a minimum. You've already been hurt enough. You can confront your shame. It was never your fault. You can empower yourself to not be a victim anymore and set boundaries where you need to because healing might or might not occur in the family. But that doesn't mean that you cannot heal. If you've been triggered at all by listening to this post, I want to tell you that I have a link in the show notes to the National Sexual Abuse Hotline, which is available 24 hours a day here in the United States. And there are other hotlines available in other countries. Please do what you can to take care of yourself. Our listener email today is from someone who listened to the episode of How to Be an Emotional Grown-Up. I think it's episode 12. She asks, I've been reading and listening to your podcasts about procrastination and how to be an emotional grown-up. 
It resonates with a lot of what I'm going through and what I'm discussing with my therapist. Although, do you have any recommendation on how to deconstruct our strategies? Once I identify them, what do I do now? I'm trying different things, but feel like I'm walking blindfolded and feel so vulnerable. Well, unfortunately, I don't know how to make making true change in your life not feel so vulnerable. It does feel vulnerable because you're trying to develop something and dealing with the not knowing rather than pulling out an old standard that you always say or always do or always act like. So some of that blindfoldedness is going to be normal. But here actually is my answer to her question. Hi, you get to the heart with your question of how we actually affect change. Recognizing old strategies is the first step, but you have to then discover the beliefs that are justifying those strategies. Then you challenge the belief and risk another choice or behavior. Again, there's that vulnerability. As you risk another choice, that's when you'll discover the emotions that that strategy, that old tried and true strategy, was hiding. Once again, I'll use myself as an example. I was highly overprotected as a child, so one of my childhood strategies was to become quite stubborn and do things my mom didn't want me to do behind her back, like auditioning for a play that she thought would be too much or flirting with a boy when she thought I was too young. That strategy turned out in my 20s to wreak a lot of havoc because my belief was, I'm not going to be controlled by anyone. And another was, I'll say yes to everything I can. I also didn't use a lot of common sense, but I was too busy being in control, taking on things that weren't rational for me to do, and overwhelming myself totally. It didn't help that I was drawn into relationships where, guess what, control was an underlying issue. But that was normal, given what was going on in my head. When I finally recognized what I was doing, then I had to challenge that belief system and change it. Instead of, I'm not going to be controlled by anyone, my beliefs changed to, I can ask for help. Instead of, I'll say yes to everything I can, I decided, you know, I can say no, and I don't have to be in control, and I can admit vulnerability. Now, here comes the emotional part. When I acted on these new beliefs, strong emotions surfaced, shame, anger, confusion. It was then that I began to sort through those very emotions that my strategy had helped me avoid feeling, or at least distract myself from. I hope that this description of my own process helps. Sometimes when the story is about someone else, it's easier to see. So I hope that's helpful to you. It's really only when you risk a new behavior, you risk telling yourself a new belief, that the emotions that the old behaviors and the old beliefs have kept in control, that they will be there waiting for you. It's not easy, but when you can do it, it is so fulfilling to actually know that whatever age you are, you can make changes that are important for you. I want to thank you for being here. I know that I've done several episodes on sexual abuse, but I cannot tell you how important it is, if you've been abused, to find someone to talk with who you trust. Next week, I'm going to be doing a new podcast on perfectly hidden depression, so I'll hope you tune in. 
I want to thank again all the people who've left reviews and ratings. That's so helpful to me and means the world. You can subscribe. I have over 5,000 subscribers now, and I'm absolutely thrilled at that. I received an email from a woman in Australia just yesterday sending me a video that was incredible of some teenagers who are dealing with their depression by coming forward and talking with others and seeking support for what can be a very lonely time of life. So thank you to that listener in Australia. I'd love to get other things from any of you. It helps me to get to know you. Who's my listening audience? What are you dealing with in your life? How could I be helpful to you? What would you like me to focus on? You can subscribe here or wherever you listen, or you can head over to my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, and subscribe there where you'll get a free weekly blog post and this podcast, as well as a free ebook that I wrote now three or four years ago called Seven Commandments of Good Therapy. It's how you know how you're choosing a good therapist and getting good therapy. What most of all you can do for me, if you want to give me a gift, is tell your friends about self-work. Nothing like good old word of mouth. So thank you so much for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work. Self-Work.